Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Darren, what are we going to discuss today? Bad reactions to rejection, Dave. No way. I'm not going to do that. What happened to my idea? Your idea was a great idea, Dave. That's not the challenge. Well, what's the challenge? Well, you just demonstrated it right there, right? So a lot of times people in sales and in leadership, one of their biggest fears is fear of rejection, and that impacts their ability to be successful in sales and in leadership. You're absolutely right. I've absolutely seen that um, time and time again. Uh, I guess what I'm wondering is, I mean, it comes up a lot of different ways, doesn't it? What's that look at? I mean, some of our listeners right now are probably thinking, that's not me. But I think sometimes it can be. I remember once, for example, I may have shared the story once before, back in my sales day, I had a, a prospect who had been to my competitor. When I say my competitor, they actually had the exact same product we had. So we had competitors in telecom who had different products. This was the other dealer in town for the product we offered. It was actually a company I had started working at and the sales guy involved was somebody I brought into the industry. So I knew him well, make a long story short. Uh, we were able to meet some unusual needs that the customer had uh, more, not, not on equipment side, but on a creative way, we were able to meet some financial needs. And so, although he had a verbal agreement with the other guy. No, actually, I think he had a, he signed the agreement, but no money had changed hands. So it wasn't, you know, locked in yet. Once he and I struck a deal uh, and we did finalize and sign it, he called the other guy from my uh, conference room on the speakerphone so I could hear. And the other guy just went off on him. Like, no way we had a deal, blah, 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 blah. You know, and I'm like, wow, that was really not a good way to handle it because he wasn't winning. He wasn't winning the deal back at all. And he just came off really unprofessional. What's the strangest rejection story you've ever seen or heard or the most, you know, weirdest, whatever you want to call it. Probably the strangest was being fired after working with a company for a year. And I took the company from 20 something million to 50 something million in one year. And my reward was, you were so good, you're fired. So did you react badly to that? I or did. I was like, it, it was a big party in my honor, right? It was a celebration, pool party at the owner's home, lots of people there. And at the end, your services were no longer required. So I was pretty pissed. And how did that, I mean, I can understand being pissed. It makes perfect sense. We just, we, you know, we just do this huge pool party um, actually, it kind of reminds me of my, my practice wife. I'll, I'll come back to that because I think uh, that's a weird one as well. Um, did you demonstrate your being upset at the time to the owner? I did not. So I'm not sure I would classify that as a bad 
reaction to rejection. Okay. Well, on the drive home, every expletive that I had ever thought of in my life came out with the children in the car, and there was no need for that. I would say the venue was wrong. Right. You know, uh, you know, knowing your kids, those are probably words they never got to hear too often. Um, but you, and it was probably good that they learned it from you instead of somebody else. Having said that, right, I would say the venue is wrong. For I'm looking at this one when you and I discuss this as a potential topic, as things not to say in front of clients, or how to keep your head in the right space, um, and, and but at the same time. I think feeling upset under those conditions would be natural and normal. Mm -hmm. and, and candidly, I think feeling how we feel whenever we feel it is, is natural and normal, right? I mean, we're, it's not about your feelings are wrong, not to get woo-woo on this, right? but we feel what we feel. But, but what do we do with that feeling? And how do we um, manage that in a way that doesn't, potentially cause problems with future business if you're in sales certainly in leadership does you don't want to cause problems with your team and hence that's why we're here yeah so what do you think causes that that reaction to rejection well i think 63 percent of all people have a high need for approval in other words, they have a need to be liked. And some of those people would care more about being liked than do about getting the business. And so that's a problem. Yeah, I could see that being a problem. And I, I would actually reframe that a little bit, right? Because it's not about getting the business per se. And yeah, I know, especially when you're in sales, you want to go like, well, that's what I get paid to do. But I think it's about doing right by the client absolutely which if they have a need and from the sales perspective you have a need they have a need and you are able to resolve their issue change, you know fix their need fulfill that need solve their problem you will earn their business correct now i'm curious in in, in the rejection case for you how would this work to, if, if your mind was, if you had a different mindset? And they were telling me my services were no longer required, something like that? Correct. So you, you, you brought them from, what was their sales volume before? 20-something million to 50-something million in one year. So double. And, 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 and folks, and I know most of you, if not all of you listening, probably are aware of this already. But just so it's on the table, you know, when you're a startup company and you're at half a million dollars or $200,000, depending on your product or service rate, to, to double that as a small startup, that's relatively speaking pretty easy. Right. When you're a $25 million company, unless you sell one $25 million product and then you just need to sell two to double it, that becomes a bigger challenge. Correct. So this was monumental. Yes, this was meeting with them 50 weeks of the year, two hours a week outside of San Diego. And well, that's a pretty big area outside of San Diego. It could be any place in the world, right? It was like Scripps Poway Parkway. Okay. So in San Diego County. Correct. Outside of the city. So narrowed that down a bit. And so 
once again, thinking about what we're talking about, which is, you know, bad reactions to rejection and more importantly, how to keep from that. Right. So you, right. You, you, your premise was, is um, it's a need for approval versus a need. And I think we've come to a conclusion need to do right by the customer. Correct. So what was your mindset at that point? Were you, you were like, they didn't appreciate me. What was going through your head? First of all, why me? I brought them tremendous value. I mean, one client in one day got a million dollars in business by closing two files, $500,000 each. That was significant, right? So their average deal size was what? It, it ran the gamut. But a, but a half million dollar deal was on the top end of their deal size. That's a good sale. That's a really good sale. And, and they did two in one week? In one hour. One hour because of your close a file yes. approach. Yes. Do you want to hear the story? Sure. So this guy, gets he gets ghosted. And so he tries a bunch of things. And in class, I said, well, why don't you close this file? He said, well, that sounds great. What does it look like? Dear Fred, I've left you a few messages. I haven't heard back from you. I find it's one of two possible reasons. One is I must have done you a disservice that allows you not to want to communicate with me. Or two is you have no interest in working with me. If that's the case, please let me know and I'll simply close your file. And so this guy called up and said, please don't call my file. Please don't close my file. He said, why would I keep it open? He goes, I, I want to work with you. He's like, well, I've, I've given you all these opportunities. The guy said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fax you the agreement right now and I'll send you a check. And so he's like, wow, this is pretty good. So he gets another call. And the guy goes, please don't close my file. I said, why would I keep it open? He's like, because I want to work with you. He's like, no, you know, you're just saying that. And I appreciate it. But you're saying that. He goes, no, don't close my file. And he said, why? And he said, because I'm sending you the agreement right now. And I want to work with you. So two close your files turn into a million dollars in business within the hour. You know, I, I love that story on a lot of different levels. One, it's, it's a great sales technique. Um, and it's not manipulative, by the way, right? Because folks, let's, let's be candid. If you're, you know, you're calling and calling and calling and you're getting no response, right? We, Darren has taught us many times over, right? There's, there's two acceptable outcomes to a sale, well, three, um, but, you know, yes, obviously is, is our preferred outcome. No is our second preferred outcome. And, and yeah. of course, the, the third is not me, but somebody else. Here's an introduction. That would also be an acceptable outcome. Um, but, you know, ghosting us, right, that, that just leaves us nowhere, which means we're taking our time hunting for some for, for the elusive, um, you know, Yeti that may not actually exist out there, right, the Bigfoot or whatever. And so this technique really allows somebody to see for themselves what they're doing. It also isn't coming from a place of, uh, of ego of me. Hey, I need you to close the sale. It really isn't. And it's not coming from a place of wanting to be liked because nobody likes that. You know, you're rejecting them basically. So um, it, it, it's a fantastic technique and it sort of illustrates the being centered around the customer 
helping them, not not about yourself, because you're doing this because they don't need if if they don't want to do business with you, they don't need to keep hearing from you. Correct. So you're in this mindset. You're you're like, wow, I brought all this tremendous value. Uh, we can quantify that value, uh, roughly twenty five million dollars in value in a year. Okay, which you know, folks, just just to give some perspective, that's about five hundred thousand dollars a week in value. Mm-hmm. My hunch is you probably weren't charging close to five hundred thousand dollars a week for your services. It was a hundred thousand dollars for the year. So, in a hundred thousand dollar investment, which is the equivalent of uh, roughly two thousand dollars a week, correct? They got half a million dollars a week in return on that investment. That is correct. That seems like something a businessman would want to keep going on and on and on and on and on. But they said, no, Darren, thank you for playing. That's exactly what happened. And so at first I was shocked. Like, what the, how could you do that? You know? I'm sorry, what the what? What the F. Okay. And where'd you go from, I am shocked. How could you do that? Then I was just flabbergasted. I was like, I don't know what to say or do. Now, if I'm playing armchair quarterback, I would try to resurrect that deal. And what would that look like? Sound like or feel like? Oh, great use of NLP. I really like that. That was good. Um, I love it. Um, (laughs) The very first thing I would do, Dave, I would say... um, so it sounds like it wasn't effective. Oh. No, it was effective. Well, I'm confused because if someone says you give me a hundred thousand, I'm going to give you 30 million. There's got to be something going on. Why someone did not want to continue that. And I'm just trying to figure that out. What do you think you would have heard? It could have ran the gamut from it's not you, it's me to I was looking for more, to it just didn't meet the expectations. It just was too much time away. Could have run the gamut to lots of things. What if it was, well, you know, Darren, you were tremendous. No doubt about the value we, we received from you. Uh, no argument, worth every penny, probably worth more. And I think our team now knows what to do. And it's not that, you are ineffective is that we've graduated. We feel we've graduated. So it sounds like it's over. Yeah. I think that's what I'm saying. I think, you know, as a responsible CEO, um, I I, I don't see that we're going to lose um, by reducing our expenses. And, you know, it's a hundred thousand dollars a shareholders money. So I'm trying to be responsible here, but it's not unappreciative. You've done everything and more than you've set up that, that we asked you to do. Got it. I appreciate that. So now that it's over, Dave, can I ask you a research question? Sure. What could I have said or done differently to allow us to continue to speak? Because I think like I missed something. I'm just curious what I could have missed. Well, I, I, I don't think you missed anything. I don't think there's anything. It's not, you know, uh, if anything, you maybe were too effective because I our sales team now, has gotten what they need. Our sales managers know how to manage them better and the sort of techniques they need to, to keep the ball rolling. So it's, it's not that you missed something, it's that you didn't miss anything and we've graduated. 
So perhaps I should have missed some things. Well, I don't think that would be you, Darren. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's because of the people that you have on board. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. I think the point I'm trying to make here is that sometimes people do outgrow us. That's and, true. You know, I, I remember my first coaching client who is a good friend of mine. And I, I want to notice the language here. Not was a good friend of mine, is a good friend of mine. In fact, you know him, Scott. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and we stay in touch to this day and we correspond periodically and he is doing great. And I could not be happier for him. And I remember also the day he said, you know, we're not going to continue on. And, uh, you know, he, he found a program from a, a, a different coach that was focused on different things than what I was focused on. Right. And, and he's doing great with them and I couldn't be happier for him. And it hurt like hell. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think the point here and the reason Scott and I are still friends is my, and, and I'm not saying this wasn't a case for you, but my sincere desire was to help him and his wife grow their business, be more successful than they were. They were a 10 year old business. When I started working with them, they were stuck at, at half million dollars, roughly in revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we grew it. We grew profits. Then we grew revenue. More importantly, we put systems in place to allow them to continue to grow. And he has done just that. He's had done fabulous growth. They're national from a San Diego regional. They're now a national company um, providing IT support. And I, I couldn't be prouder of them. And, and, and he'll, he'll tell you, he's told me many times, and, 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 you know, I, I feel very much a part of that. And I miss working with them. Right. You know, so it's okay to be both. And I think that's, that's the point here is that if we have the right perspective, we have a good reaction. And so when you were hurt, you said it hurt like hell. You, when you, you say when it hurt like hell, right? What could yeah. you what could or would you have done differently to try to maintain that? Or would you like, you know what? We agree with each other. I, I, I mean, at the time, I, and I don't remember exactly what I said, but probably similar things to what you just went through. But at some point, you know, I, I'm looking at things from his eyes and I, I couldn't disagree with him, you know, at, at some point. Um, and I, I, we grew together and at some point, you know, what, frankly, what I was bringing, he, he got all my stuff, you know, at that point, you know, now today, obviously this is many years later and, and, and I, you know, because we don't work together anymore, we grow, we grow apart. I don't mean apart personally, but you know, what I'm doing now is much more robust than what I was doing then because I continue to evolve. His companies continue to evolve. Um, in fact, I, you know, he did his uh, quarterly leadership meeting. He was out here in San Diego. It's probably a year ago now. Um, and I joined them for, for lunch. And we talked about a few things as a group. And there were certainly some things I brought to the table that, you know, his current program had. I was happy to do that for him. I think the point here is that, you know, that's the nature of life, you know. And if we're focused on the customer's needs, we recognize when that happens and, and we don't react poorly. We don't, we don't bitch and complain. We don't certainly have a tantrum like um, my former sales guy did on the phone that time, which just blew me away. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's very much the same sort of thing you have um, as a leader. In other words, a lot of times when you're leading people, you you bring up want to start initiatives, and your team doesn't want to do it. Right, they're stuck in their ways. Right? right, and I think if we're coming from a place of we want to be liked, and so many managers feel like, oh, if my team likes me, that's important. Mm-hmm. And so they want to be liked. They don't want to be rejected. They, you know, it's if I'm rejected, I'm not doing a good job as a manager. And so they crumple or they cry or, you know, they give in or they throw a tantrum. We've all worked for people like, like that at some point, Yep. the, the yeller, you know, um, and all of those are, I think are really reactions to rejection. Mm-hmm. But if you're coming from a place of caring, where you're saying, you know, you know, th- then the reaction becomes, all right, how do I, how do I present this change? Again, we're going to leadership now. Um, how do I present this change in a way that shows it's in their best interest? Right. Right. So I think back to you is how do you, you know, how do you, and that's what you started to do with your re- quote, research questions. How do I, how do I show from a sales perspective that continuing this relationship might be in the customer's best interest? And, and the questions you asked are, are one way to do that. Exactly. And it comes down to what you mentioned before, is building upon it, right? Are you looking out for your best interest or your customer client's best interest? Because that will determine a lot. If you're looking out for your own best interest, you're not going to ask some of those difficult questions because you don't want to be rejected. But if you're looking out for your customer's best interest, you're going you're gonna to put personalities aside because you're looking out what's best for your customer or your client. And that, to me, is a big difference. Yeah. And, you know, this is really an underwriting theme of almost every single podcast we've done, which is really all about caring for the other person. Exactly. And you would call that integrity, right? Well, not exactly. Okay. So, in- integrity. And, you know, a lot of people have different different uh, meanings for it. Uh, you know, there's a popular meme, integrity is doing the right thing even when nobody's looking. Right. And I would submit that that is a, um, a, a, a symptom or, you know, an example of integrity. The, the challenge I have with that meme is, you know, what, what is the right thing? So our values determine what we believe to be the right thing. Right. And so, you know, somebody who thinks that um, uh, gathering money at all costs is important, that's their value or power. The right thing for them isn't the right thing for me. I I just, uh, my wife and I just binge watched a a show. um, Oh, now I'm blanking on the name, but it's a female CIA operative, um, Covert Affairs. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the main characters or, or one of the characters who is a former uh, CIA director turns evil, sort of, sort of speak, you know, and, and for him, it's garnering power. And he does all sorts of horrific things that reposition himself. So, you know, for him, they were right. He justified every single one of them. Integrity for me is being authentic, understanding what your values are, who you are, what's important to you, and then presenting that in an authentic real way to the world. So nobody has any mis um, ideas about who and what you are. 
The Lex Luthor from the Superman comics had integrity. He made no bones about he was evil. Mm-hmm. Right. He didn't hide that. So that's a form of integrity. It just happens to be evil. But so it, to be a leader, you need to have integrity. So what you present to your team and, and your stakeholders is truly who you are because you're, you're always going to act who you are. Right. And so if you don't present that way, nobody will trust you. And then you can't get anything done. That's a great point. And um, I just had a thought. It just went away. Hopefully it comes back soon. Well, let me tie that into caring then while you're thinking on your thought. So the, the challenge that comes up with integrity, of course, is the universe will always test us. I, I have a colleague of mine um, who talks about these tests as an opportunity to uh, strengthen your resolve, right? Or strengthen your intentions, right? And so the test for integrity always looks the same, which is if you maintain your values, then it will appear that you are going to lose something big. It will always appear as if you're going to, it's going to cost you something, a lot of money or something, you know, you, you know, you accidentally scratch somebody else's car and you're like, you, you know, you're an honest person, but you know, these, again, again, talking to people maybe younger who don't have means and go like, wow, if, if I put a note on their door on their windshield, they're going to come at me and it's, you know, they're going to try and get their, all their body work done and not just the little scratch that I did. Right. And so, uh, or, you know, maybe it's just a little scratch and there's nothing else, but you're like, I can't afford the $500, $1,000, whatever it's going to cost me. So nobody saw, so I go away, right? That's a test of your integrity mm-hmm. because you're going to lose something. The reality is you'll never lose as much as you do for failing that test. So that's number one. But how do you, how do you, how do you overcome that test? It takes courage, right? Because you got to have the courage in spite of your fear to act properly because right? that's what courage is, action in spite of fear. Where does courage come from to bring this back to caring? Well, and, and I think I've said this in an earlier podcast, in the words of Lao Tzu, the founder of uh, Taoism, um, caring about uh, being cared for by others deeply gives you strength. Caring about others deeply gives you courage. So courage comes from caring about others. Mm-hmm. That's a brilliant way to, to frame it. Right. So when you care about others, it gives you the courage it takes to maintain your integrity. Because if you don't maintain your integrity, people will lose faith in you and then you can't help them. You... That's right. They don't trust you. Correct. It really is that simple. Mm-hmm. And trust can take a long time to build and a nanosecond to break. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, there's a, there was, I'm going to modify this. There was a crude saying when I was in Navy, you, you can build the greatest bridges in the world. Okay. And you, you know, for the longest time you're, you're Pierre, the bridge builder, okay? mm-hmm. but you pass gas in a crowded room once you're no longer Pierre, the bridge builder. Good point. No. That's just not how people are going to think of you. So, um, and, and that's really a great example of, of, you know, what we mean. You do one bad thing and you're, you're, 
people start to distrust you. You erode your trust disproportionate to the quantity of things you've done right. Absolutely. And it goes away in a heartbeat. Right. And I think, and I don't want to wax political, but I think, you know, that's the problem we're having right now in this country is our government has been so wishy-washy for so long, both sides, right? This is not a, uh, this both sides of the aisle that, that they say things and then turn around and say the opposite, you know, as if they never said the first. And, you know, we have all this media right now where it's easy enough to find, you know, um, and then nobody trusts them. So now we don't trust them. So people don't do things that the government wants us to do because we don't trust that it's in our best interest. They're failing in leaders as leaders because of it. So what's your solution to that? I know that's really hard to do in like a couple of minutes, but what would be one, one step to move towards that building trust? Well, the first thing you have to do, if you've broken trust like that, is, is come out and admit it, own mm-hmm. it, no excuses, right? No, I did this, but I had a good reason. I did this. There's no excuse. Now that in and of itself won't do it. I, I, I had a skipper who went when he was actually XO. So before they became the number one officer, they were the number two, his first training mission with us, he took over the brief and changed our SOP to an antiquated um, tactic. And we got our tails handed to us in, in record time because we were flying a tactic that was from Korean war against aircraft that are modern that the tactic doesn't work anymore and when we were walking back to the ready room to debrief i remember my pilot and i were talking about how this isn't going to bode well for the future of the squadron because if he keeps overriding us like that because we told him it wasn't going to work and 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 keeps doing all of this we're going to be a terrible squadron and we he walked we walked in and he goes well that didn't work out okay well very well that's the last time i'm going to tell you guys how to run the brief from now on you guys will do the mission briefing and i'm just going to do what i'm told and i remember thinking bull i've never known a skipper who didn't take over the brief that just hadn't happened the fact that he honored his word from that day on he never once overrode us he let us run the briefs he had he demonstrated faith and trust in us and he went from what i thought was going to be the worst skipper i've ever had as xo because xo becomes skipper to when I left that squadron, he was the skipper, to now I look upon as, as the one of the best leaders I've ever had the honor of working for. But it took a long time to, to make up that ground. I would imagine the first step is just to admit it and say, my fault, my bad, I'm not going to do this anymore. I put you in charge. You're going to run the show from here. That's exactly what he said. Yeah, that's exactly. But the second step was the one we didn't. De- a lot of people play that game. Right. It's what happens next that right. we look at. And in his case, he actually did what he said he was going to do. In the end of the day, say what you're going to do and do what you said, irrespective of what it costs you, and you will do well. I think that's beautiful. It's that simple. And that difficult. Well, we make, sometimes we make it difficult. 
based on a lot of external factors. Yeah, that's probably a true statement as well. But I think that's how we avoid bad reactions. We know, know who we are, know what's important to us, care about others, and honor ourselves by honoring them. I love that. Anything else you'd like to add? That's it for me, Darren. What about you? Any parting words of wisdom? I don't know if they're words of wisdom, but I would say, once again, it, whose best interests are you looking out for? If it's your own, you're going to look at things completely different than if it's your customer, your employer, your client. Yep. It's that simple. It is that simple. And those of those of you out there who give more, get more. Mm -hmm. It's a good point. Well, I think that wraps up the show, Dave. I want to thank you very much for your perspective and insight as always. And likewise, back at you, Darren, you know, you bring a wealth of knowledge and information and I always learn something. So until next time. Thank you. Take care. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. Visit our websites at LockedOnLeadership.com or DarrenCecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you fail to disarm them.